good to be back with you. How many of you were here the last time I preached? Was How many of you don't remember? That's always encouraging. <clears throat> I'm Josh Hanna. I'm from uh, Tennessee, and I, w- I won't tell you a lot about me. I don't want to eat my time up with talking about me. I did tell Andy. I said, now, will you introduce me, or can I come up? He said, I'll introduce you. I said, let me introduce myself. It'll be a whole lot better. Waiting to hear the things I'm going to tell them. I will say, Andy, um, that joke about the Tennessee Vols, about the volunteers, that was tasteless. <laughs> this is supposed to be a house of love, and I'm not feeling it. I did hear he likes the Bulldogs. Oh, a couple of Bulldog fans out there, not even true to your own state. All right. I heard something about, and, I, and I'm glad he said that, and I thought, well, at least he's losing his head coach. The Bulldogs is going to be losing its head coach. They're getting a new coach next year. Did y'all know that? He's a Chinaman. His name's Win One Soon. <laughs> anyway, hope it works out for you next year, Andy. Exodus chapter 3, as you turn over there. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 3. I'll give you a minute to turn over there in your Bible. I normally tell a quick joke and I started doing it years ago because I, I get so nervous, and uh, I just found out I'm, I'm a bit of a cut-up, and I found out it helped me out. I think that's why me and your pastor get, get well, uh, how would you say that, get together so well. See, I'm already nervous. And I uh, started telling a joke, it helps me out, so you want to hear one real quick? There's this uh, family that's Catholic, and this little boy wanted a bicycle for Christmas, a little red bicycle. So he went and told his mama, Mama, I want a, I want a bicycle for Christmas. And she was going to try to teach him something about Jesus. And she said, you go upstairs and write a letter to Jesus why you should get a bicycle on his birthday. He went upstairs and said, dear Jesus, it's Johnny. And I've been a good boy all year. And he thought about it. And he thought, well, Jesus knows everything. So he threw the letter away. He wrote a second letter. Dear Jesus, it's Johnny. I've tried to be a good boy all year. But being a mischievous boy, he knew that wasn't true. So he threw it away. Then he took off running downstairs, out the back door, up the road to the Catholic church they attended, and he grabbed a statue of Mary. He put it under his jacket, and he ran back to the house, and he stuck the statue under his bed, and he wrote his third and final letter. Dear Jesus, it's Johnny. I've got your mama. Send the red bicycle if you ever want to see her again. (laughs) He's going to get him a bicycle one way or the other. Exodus chapter 3, verse 3, we are uh, in 21 days of prayer and fasting back home. I pastor a multi-site church, and um, we, uh, we have six campuses, and I also um, run something called Hope Center Ministries, and we have alcohol and drug treatment centers. We have four of those in four different cities, and I'm starting something called Jacob's House, and it's a home for children. I grew up in an abused home, and I have a heart for kids. I was in the shower sometime back. I don't know what it is about getting naked and lathering up with soap, but Jesus will speak to you in the shower. Does anybody else hear from God a lot in the shower? Raise your hand if you do. Look at all of us bunch of weirdos. Very seldom when I ask that does somebody raise their hand. Are you, you guys serious? Raise your hand again. I'm telling you, if I want to hear from God, I just go get in the shower. And the Lord had been dealing my heart about a children's home, and I was overwhelmed, and I thought, how in the world are we going to do that? I don't know anything. And then the Lord said to me, he said, uh, I felt him speak to my heart. 
when you were eight, if someone would have reached you with the gospel, what would you give? What would you give for that? And I literally got out on my knees weeping, and I said, I'd give everything I own if I could have known you when I was eight. And so we're going to start a children's home. We're going to help kids. We have 998 children in our judicial district that have been abused sexually, physically, emotionally, that have been abandoned. I've been doing recovery ministry for some time. I was a drug addict when I came to Christ. So recovery comes natural to me. We help people find Jesus. But with this children's home, I think it's a greater assignment because we're not going to be doing recovery. We're going to be doing prevention. So I want you to be praying with me about that, and we'll talk more about that at the end of the service. But I realized that we're going to need God if we're going to pull this off. So we went into 21 days of prayer and fasting. As a church, we had already purchased some land. It's got big rock bluffs on it. It's got a creek that runs all the way across the back. Beautiful piece of property. And um, we're fixing to start construction of our first home there. It'll house 12. We're not going to go over 12 kids per home. Uh, We'll have house parents there. We'll have a lot of volunteers working. But we want them to eat at a big dinner table every night and We think when you go past 12, it'll become more of an institution than it'll be a family. So 8 to 12 kids is what each home will house. We're going to build four of them. And um, I said, well, if we're going to pull this off, we're going to need God. Would you agree with that? And I started thinking about how one encounter with God will change your life forever, just like that encounter I had that day in the shower. And I've had numerous encounters with God, and they've changed my life. They've become memorial stones in my life that I look back and point back to. And, and I wanted our whole church to have encounters with God. I've realized the reason a lot of people don't stick around, they don't have a sticky faith, faith that sticks it out for the long haul, faithfulness in their life, it's because they hadn't had an encounter with God. Somebody can preach to you every week about their personal encounter with God, but until you have your own personal encounter with God, You're going to struggle in being faithful and steady. And God wants us all to encounter his presence. He wants us to know him in a real way. And so we started 21 days of prayer and fasting, and you guys put me in a hotel between Outback and Ruby Tuesday. Not only have you insulted my football team, but you have put me in a place of temptation. And uh, we're having prayer meetings at our campuses. We'll have 280 prayer meetings in 21 days. 280 prayer meetings in 21 days. That's a lot of prayer meetings. We're having so many prayer meetings at each campus, and we've been having people show up. We've had over 500 people show up, and God's moving. So if I get a little emotional today, I don't know what it is, but when I'm on a fast, I get emotional. And normally I'm not a really emotional guy, but you'll have to forgive me. But I've been preaching on encounters, and I want to preach a sermon to you that I shared last week. And we're just going through the Bible, and we're looking at where different men. We, we've looked at Cornelius. We looked at Moses. I preached yesterday at 10 a.m., and they filmed it, and they'll show it this weekend. I'm actually preaching right now by video, and, and this week I was preaching on Paul. But I want to show you about Moses. It's a familiar passage of Scripture, but please don't tune me out. Don't turn your attention span off because... Just because you've seen the movie or the cartoon or you've heard this story before, 
I can guarantee you if you'll hang with me, you're going to see some things possibly you've never seen. At least that's what happened to me. Exodus chapter 3, verse 3. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. Wait one minute. Anytime God's Word says something twice, especially back to back, let me help everybody out. That means pay attention. God doesn't waste words. If He says it once, it's important. If He says it twice, He's really wanting you to get something. And He points out the fact that Moses turned aside and God saw He turned aside. And God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, right? And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. And God begins to tell Moses, Moses, I've got an assignment for you because every encounter has a purpose. There's something God wants to come out of that encounter. God wants to help you and change you. But I think most importantly, God wants to use you to help others. God wants every person in this room to be a deliverer in their own way because there's a world around us that's in bondage and slavery to sin, and they need somebody to help deliver them. And God said, you'll deliver my people. And Moses said, I can't, God, I'm scared. He said, you'll deliver my people. And Moses said, God, he won't hear me. Pharaoh will never hear him. He won't listen to me. God said, you'll deliver my people. You know the excuses. God, I got stammering lips. I can't speak straight. God. And God, Moses, began to debate it out. And in chapter 4, verse 2, so the Lord said to him, God's fed up. And so here's what he says to Moses. What's in your hand? And Moses said, a rod. In the Hebrew, that literally means a stick, just a tree, a stick. What do you got in your hand, Moses? A rod, a stick, walking the stick, keeping the sheep with them. And God said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. How many of you would run to? Y'all aren't a snake handling church, are you? I've heard about people in North Carolina. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. And there's three things that bring an encounter with God. One, we have to turn aside. Two, we have to take our shoes off. And three, we got to give what's in our hand. Father, make me a better preacher than I really am. I know there's not a person in this room that, that's impressed with Josh Hannon. I'm, I'm certainly not. And we didn't come to hear from Josh. We came to hear the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. We came to hear your word. And I pray that you'd open our hearts, God. I, I feel that this congregation already has open hearts. What a great congregation. Father, would you speak to them today? Would you feed your sheep? Would you help your people? And would you do it through me, in spite of me? And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Encounters come to those who turn aside. That word turn aside in the Hebrew literally just means to withdraw. He had to withdraw in the wilderness. And by the way, Moses isn't the only person that had a habit of withdrawing in the wilderness. This would be his first time, but it certainly wouldn't be his last. 
Moses would withdraw to the mountain. Moses would withdraw outside the camp. He would withdraw many times in the future because he found out if you're going to have an encounter with God, if you're going to come to really know God, you're going to have to withdraw yourself from all the busyness and from all the noise. And you're going to have to go in the wilderness, a place where you're alone, just you and God. But Jesus had the same habit. The Bible says in Luke 5, 16, so he himself, Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. Moses withdrew into the wilderness. Jesus withdrew into the wilderness. Moses encountered the heavenly Father, and so did the Son of God, Jesus himself. If Moses had to withdraw, if Jesus had to withdraw, do you think maybe just maybe you and I will have to withdraw in the wilderness if we want to have an encounter with God? What does that mean? That means going to a place where it's just you and Him. Going to a place where you can cut out the screaming of children, which means you may have to do it at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. I got three little girls. You may have to get up early. It may be a a dining room table with a cup of coffee. It, It may be outside. A lot of times I take prayer walks. For me, I, I live on a road called St. Paul Road, and it intersects with a road called Promised Land Road. How's that for biblical names? I don't even like my house. I just bought it because it was on that road. <laughs> I like my house. And I'll walk from St. Paul over to Promised Land Road, and I'll walk up that road, and there's an old church. Now, on the way there, I, I got to pass uh, this one church. It's not must of a church. The reason I say that is it's a church of the Confederates, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's just got all kinds of nasty stuff on there, and it's just full of hate, and I've thought about burning it down, but I'm afraid I'll get caught. But I walk on up to this other church up Promised Land Road, and I, and I, and I get to this little church, and, and it's a real church, and, and uh, I'll just sit up there and pray, and I'll spend time with God. Sometimes I'll walk over in the woods. I don't know who owns this piece of land. I go trespass on it, but it's a beautiful piece of land. And I get over and I walk up to the top of the hill and I'll just pray. Because I found if you're going to have an encounter with God, you're going to have to get alone with God. You're going to have to get alone with God. And you say, Josh, I'm not going to have a burning bush. Why not? Why not? Josh, have you ever seen a bush on fire? Well, in the Old Testament, everything was physical. You could touch it, taste it, smell it was there in front of you. Like in the Old Testament, if there was a temple or the tabernacle, Moses had to construct it. It had to be built. And there was the Holy of Holies behind the veil or the curtain. But in the New Testament, I got a question for you. Where's the temple? We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Where's the Holy of Holies? Where's the presence of God dwelling? In my heart. That's the Holy of Holies, if I'm a believer in Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is within what? You. It's within you, Jesus said. So, Josh, where's the burning bush going to show up in here? You've had a burning bush experience before. Maybe you just didn't know what was happening. Have you ever had a, a prompting of the Spirit? Have you ever had a tug on your heart? Have you ever maybe felt a disturbance on the inside? You were just disturbed on the inside. You ever felt like something was wrong, uneasy? Or you ever had a thought in the mind that said, go spend time with God? 
You need to pray. You ever had that thought just hit your mind before? You go, that's the devil. The devil's not telling you to pray. The flesh isn't telling you to pray. Where do you think that thought is coming from? The burning bush was nothing more than this. It was God's way of calling Moses aside to withdraw so that he, Moses, could encounter God. That's all it was. It was a tool. God doesn't have to set a bush on fire today to do that because God's living in you as a believer and the burning bush will take place on the inside and God will call us, prompt us, lead us, tug on us, put his hand on us and say, come. Anybody ever felt him before calling you to come seek him? You ever had that experience? You say, Josh, I I haven't had that experience. Then start asking him. Lord, nudge my heart. Take my heart. Prompt me, God, because I want to encounter you. And there's three things I'll tell you about burning bushes. The first thing is this. They very seldom come at a convenient time. Very seldom come at a convenient time. Moses is tending the sheep on the side of a mountain, Mount Horeb. It's not a convenient time to turn aside. If you go back to the Gospel of Luke where it said Jesus withdrew, If you read the verse before that, it tells us that there were multitudes. Multitudes. You know how many people that is? I don't either, but it's a lot. That's a lot of people. And the multitudes came out, and it said they came to hear His Word and to be healed by Him. So you've got possibly thousands of people that came to be healed and to hear, and they blink, and Jesus is gone. Everybody's going, where'd Jesus go? Where'd Jesus go? I'll tell you where He went. He withdrew into the wilderness. Because the burning bush very seldom comes at a convenient time. For me, a lot of times, God deals with me in the middle of the night, early in the morning. That's me. It comes at inconvenient times. Sometimes it'll come watching a movie, a good movie. I mean, a movie I'm really into. Me and my wife were at a movie theater a few weeks ago, and I guess it was a couple of months ago, and I was getting this sermon series, and she looked over and elbowed me. She goes, you're missing the movie. And I held up my iPhone. I had some notes written down on it. And I showed it to her and I said, I'm not missing anything. I said, You're, I, I'm, I'm hearing God. And then, boy, I really just played on that a little bit. I looked at her and said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> While you're watching this worldly movie, I'm in the spirit. She laughed and turned back around and watched her movie. It didn't move her at all. Andy, you could at least open the water for me. What kind of hospitality is this? I remember this one time, I had a guy walk up to me. He offered me his church. We had a few church buildings given to us, and it was just a God thing, and that's how we got into multi-site. We didn't intentionally do it. It wasn't a plan. I know a lot of people have like a five-year plan, all that. It just fell into our laps. We had a church. We didn't know what to do with the church building, so we started another site. That's how it worked out for us. We've been given three now. But this one building that this pastor, I saw him in Walmart. Now, y'all know Walmart. Y'all from North Carolina. The Holy Land. I hadn't got a hand clap the whole service, but I called Walmart Holy Land. And somebody said, woohoo! I'm, uh, I'm in Walmart, and this pastor walks up to me from a place called Erin, Tennessee, city of 1,500 people, about twice the size of Princeton. I'm kidding. It might be. 
I just got to say, I think it's absolutely amazing what God's done in this small town. I was driving past here last night, and I told the taxi cab driver, that's a long story. You don't want to know why I was in a taxi. Most expensive ride I've ever taken from the Raleigh Airport. Uh, little girls, they'll get your wallet and take your ID if you're not careful. Thank God for a backup passport in your suitcase or you wouldn't even got on the plane. I'll spank her when I get home. If you know me, you know that's not a struggle with spanking, but, but I do spank them. I told my little girl earlier, I said, this, this hurts daddy. It tears me up. I grew up abused, and so I know we need to discipline our children, and my wife gets on me, and so I got my seven-year-old, and I said, listen, this breaks daddy's heart. It hurts me worse than it hurts you. I never thought I'd be saying that to my kids. You know, it hurts me worse than it hurts you. She put her, shoulder, her hand on my shoulder, and she goes, Daddy, don't put yourself through it. That's what she said. She goes, Daddy, I don't want to see you hurt, Daddy. She said, let's just not even do it. It was so funny that I said, Kara, yell. And I took my belt off and started hitting the bed, and she's screaming, Ow! Ow! Daddy! And I walked out of the room and I walk out of the hallway and my wife's walking down the hallway. She goes, oh, no, she's getting a spanking. <laughs> my wife's different than me. It's like, release the Kraken. That's what happens when my wife gets mad. What's wrong with me? Where was I? Bur burning bushes seldom come at a convenient time. I'm, um, this pastor said, we want to give you this church building. And the Lord spoke to me, and, and I said, I, I thank you, but no thank you. I've got too much going on. And I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me just pray God gives you guys a pastor. And, and if I've, I'll be looking for you, and we'll find your church a great pastor since you're wanting to step down. And he said, but it's not that I'm wanting to step down. The Lord spoke to me, and our whole congregation's prayed about it, and it's 100%. It's unanimous. We're supposed to do this. And I thought, yeah. I mean, there was, you know, there was like 15 of them. That's, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I mean, it was 15. But to get 15 people to be unanimous in anything in church, that's a miracle. But I said, I'll, I'll just pray and <clears throat> for you, Pastor. And I got up one night, and it's midnight, and um, I'm disturbed in my heart. Something's wrong. And see, for me, I've realized over the years that God doesn't want me walking around carrying an uneasiness. His yoke is easy. His burden's light. He wants to give me rest for my soul. And so anytime I feel worry or an uneasy, I realize that's a burning bush. That's God calling me to come spend time with him. And so I did, and about 1 a.m., the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to take that building in Erin. And I felt overwhelmed. I had two campuses at the time and one Hope Center. And at that time, I thought, man, can't do any more than what I'm doing. And finally, I said, okay, God, I'll do it. I was sitting with one of the graduates of our Hope Center the other day. Name's Tammy. It's been a while back. Tammy married her high school sweetheart. Tammy's a pretty lady. And uh, said everything was going good, but as they got into drugs and alcohol, she started telling me about the abuse. I'd always wondered why Tammy was missing her front teeth. And uh, Tammy told me once they had a child, and the child was five, she said, one day he started beating me so bad my little girl got on top of me and laid over my back trying to protect me. And he took a chair and started beating both of us with a chair. And he broke the chair. She said, I got up and fought back and I lost these teeth. He knocked my teeth out. She said, I ran out of the home that day and I never went back. Her daughter was 12 years old. She left her daughter that day. She should have left her husband that day. And she should have gotten out of there. 
But she was so afraid that he'd find her and him and her and her daughter and kill them. And she left her daughter. And Tammy's looking at me, just tears streaming down her face, saying, Pastor Josh, I started doing drugs after that to forget. And I abandoned my daughter. And she's just weeping and shaking. And she said, what do I do? And I said, Tammy, we're going to help get your daughter back. We're going to figure it out together. And she started telling me, since she had found Jesus at our Hope Center, everything in her life had changed. She's not running anymore. She's ready to fight legally. She said, I've even forgiven him. She said, I forgive him. He did that to me because he doesn't know Jesus, Josh. She said, I'm never going back to him. She said, but we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We started talking that day, and I've got a lot of stories I could share, like Tammy's. I could tell you about Jessica, who was kidnapped. The guy kept her for three days, naked for three days. Abused her many times within three days. Gave her no food for three days. She escaped, running through the neighborhood naked. She was 15. She got to her grandmother's house. They arrested the man and put him in prison. Jessica became a director for me after she graduated. She actually ran my McEwen Hope Center. And that man got out of prison later and came into my Waverly Treatment Center. We didn't know who he was. We didn't know his story. And in a CR meeting, Jessica looks across the room, and there he is. And she tells somebody about it and said, that's the man that kidnapped me, and that's the man that raped me, and he beat me. And when I found out about it, I called her up and said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. And I drove down there, and I said, I'll put him out today. I'm sorry. And she looked at me, and she corrected me, and she said, Pastor Josh, you teach forgiveness. You said Jesus said, turn the other cheek. She said, are we not going to try to help this man find Jesus? And I said, you don't want me to throw him out? She said, no, I want you to help him. Now, that fellow wound up losing, leaving two weeks later on his own, and he wasn't really ready to change. But I've got a lot of stories about how Jesus Christ has changed the lives of a lot of women. If I wouldn't have got up that night at midnight at a very inconvenient time when I was absolutely wore out and I wanted to pull the covers back over my head, I don't know if I could tell you these stories today. I don't know if I'd have got to be a part of this. See, they very seldom come at a convenient time, but here's the second thought. The second thought is this. The bush burns but for a moment. If Moses would have said, I'll come back to that burning bush next week or next month, do you think that bush still would have been on fire? Do you think God's going to sit around and wait on you until you get good and ready and, and he'll just sit there and sit down and he'll hold up progress of delivering people who are in bondage till you get ready. Now, I think he'll go find somebody else personally. I think he'll move on with his work. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's a window of opportunity. Look at the person beside you and tell him this. Say, Seize the moment. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. You go, God's always with me. What are you talking about? There's his omnipresence, which means he's everywhere all the time. There's his inner presence, which means he lives in the heart of the believer. But there's his manifest presence. And there's a window of opportunity for you to get in on it. That encounter that we're talking about. The third thing I'll tell you about burning bushes is this, is that it's God's way of calling us, but he wants us to stay put until he shows up. Don't leave too early. I told you about that church, and you may be wondering what that had to do with the Hope Center. I started praying at 12, but at 1 o'clock, finally the Lord said, take the church building, and you'll do something different with it. That's where I started this Hope Center. That's where Jessica came through. That's where Tammy came through. That's where all these young ladies and all these women came through. That's the center they came through because at midnight I got up, and I stuck around long enough, and at 1 a.m., God said, take it. Take the building, but it won't be a church. It became a women's treatment center. And they would come and live with us for six months, and they'd do two-month outpatient, and then they graduate. Don't, don't miss the moment. You go, will I be cursed if I missed it? Nah. It's not a question of whether you'll be cursed. It's a question of do you want to be blessed? Do you want to get on? Get in on seeing God deliver other people. And stick around till He shows up. James 4, 8, draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Do you know that's a promise? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Here's the second thing about encounters. The first one is you've got to turn aside. The second thing is this. You've got to surrender your shoes. Doesn't that sound weird? Surrender your shoes. But the Bible says... To encounter God, you've got to get on holy ground because 1 Peter 1.15, it, it says, he, he who has called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Or 1 Peter 1.15, Hebrews 12.14, pursue peace with all people in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You're not going to see God without holiness. So here's the way it is. I don't know if they were able to put this chart in or not because I just kind of worded it, but if they were, you can bring it up. If not, it's okay. But here's the way it is. You want to have an encounter with God? If you want to encounter God, then you got to come to a place called holy. And if you want to come to a place called holy, you got to take off your shoes. What is that? Why take off your shoes? Did his feet stink that bad? Was his shoes that dirty? Was his sandals muddy? What was he going to do? How would his shoes contaminate the holiness of God? Obviously, there's something we're missing. Wouldn't you agree? See, in Eastern cultures, and Moses came out of Egypt, and the Egyptians, when you went into the temple, you'd take off your shoes as a sign of reverence and respect. You ever been to somebody's house and you took your shoes off just because you didn't want to get the carpet dirty? And it was a sign of respect, reverence. I respect your pretty carpet. I don't want to mess it up. And Moses probably thought that day that's what it's all about. But Moses would later find when God gave him the law and he wrote the Torah, that the taking off of one sandal was the relinquishing of property rights, of ownership. See, and, and I'll show you some scripture for this in a minute. I've got a lot of scripture I can show you about it. But see, in our day, I bought a piece of property for that Jacob's house a while back. And we're in there, and the man that owned the property and myself, we came into a, a room, and a lawyer was there, and we sat down with a lawyer, and we began filling out the paperwork. And I'll never forget, she said to me, she said, that's your last signature. She said, 
she looked at the owner and she said, when you guys sign that, when you sign that piece of paper, he is the owner of the land. And she made a joke, better back out now. He signed the piece of paper and said, I want to sell the land. And the moment he signed that piece of paper, when he signed that piece of paper, that land was no longer his. It belonged to a 501c3 called Jacob's house. Because he gave over the right of ownership. He relinquished the right of ownership and signed it over to that 501c3. Moses taught him in the law, if you own something and you want to relinquish your right of ownership and you want to give it to the other party and you no longer own it, but now they'll own it, You'll seal the deal. You won't sign a contract. You'll take the sandal off thy foot and you'll put it before them. And that is the sign. That is the confirmation in Israel. In the book of Ruth, chapter 3, Ruth goes down to the threshing floor. How's that for the first date? And Boaz is down there. And late that night, she sneaks into Boaz's room, Ruth chapter 3, and she lays at his feet there in the bed. Boaz is startled and he wakes up and he says, What are you doing? And she started speaking kindly, and it touched Boaz's heart. Boaz's heart started going, you ever had your heart do that before? Husbands, that's a good time to raise your hand right there. <laughs> raise your hand right there. And Boaz said, but see, I, I, can't, I can't take you as my wife. I want to. I want to take you as my wife. I can't because there's a next of kin. You go, that sounds weird. Let me catch you up on the law real quick just in case, okay? Because I wouldn't have known any of this before I was a preacher. In the law, if a man died... Who was his wife to marry? The next of kin. Do, do you remember when the Sadducees came and they were going to catch Jesus and they asked him a question? They said, let's say a woman's married, but her husband dies and she marries his brother. And his brother dies and she marries his brother. And his brother dies and she marries his brother. And his brother dies and she marries his brother. And they said, okay, we got them now, fellas. Okay, Jesus, when she gets to heaven, whose wife, which of the brothers will she be married to? And they just sat back like, we got them now. And Jesus said, there will be neither marriage nor giving of marriage in heaven. And one man just said, amen. He felt that right there. But there will be neither marriage nor giving of marriage in heaven. But the real point I'm trying to make is, is why would a wife keep marrying a brother? Was his brothers that good looking? Did he have a brother that looked, one looked like Brad Pitt and the other one Tom Cruise? What is it? And who was she? No, it was because you had to marry the next of kin to carry on that name. Boaz said, Ruth, I can't marry you because I'm not next in line. I am kin to Naomi, and I was kin to your husband who passed away, but I'm not next in line. There's another man in line, and I'm after him. He'll have to give up the right of ownership. So Ruth chapter 4. They get there to the gates, and all the elders come around, and Boaz says to the man, the property of this fella has been sold, been sold. Now you can redeem the property, and you can redeem the wife. You can take her as your wife, and you can purchase the property back. By law, whoever bought that property would have to sell it back at the price they paid it for if the next of kin wanted it. Redemption. And here's what happens. Ruth chapter 4, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Who come up with the idea that you take your sandal off to give up the right of ownership? 
broke the law, Moses. The day God said, take your shoes off your foot, Moses probably thought, oh, okay. But I think when God gave him the law, there was a point in there where Moses went, oh, that's what you were saying that day on Mount Horeb. You go, Josh, it still isn't clicking. Taking the sandal off that foot, you're going to see it now throughout the Bible. Let me show you another passage of Scripture in Joshua. Joshua, it's 40 years after the day. Moses took the sandals off his feet, stepped into a holy place. When he stepped into the holy place, he encountered God. Forty years later, Joshua has become the leader of Israel. They've just entered the promised land, and they're going to take their first city called Jericho. But Joshua sees a man standing over there that has his sword drew. His sword has been drew. Joshua runs up to the man and said, are you for us or against us? And the man said, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua falls down and begins to worship. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. You say, how do you know? Not just because he said, I'm the commander. By the way, Jesus is the commander-in-chief, just so you know. But because when Joshua worshipped, when Joshua worshipped, the angel didn't rebuke him. He allowed him to worship at his feet. Only Jesus is worthy of our praise. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. And I want to show you what the commander said to Joshua, Joshua 5.15. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. See, I'm going to show you something. You say, how, how do I encounter God? Get in holy ground. How do I get in holy ground? Take shoe off thy foot. How do I, how do, I do that, Joshua? What's that about? See, here's what it is. is Jesus, the commander, was saying to Joshua, the battle's not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. If you're the commander, the walls of Jericho will never come down. But if you'll relinquish your right of ownership over this army, if you'll relinquish the right of ownership over your own life, if you'll let me be the commander in your life and you become number two and let me become number one, the walls of Jericho will come down. But you don't get the credit for it. I get the credit for it. You're no longer in charge. I'm in charge. What do you say? And Joshua took the shoe off his foot and he laid it before Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I surrender. You're in charge. I relinquish the right of ownership in my own life. That if thou shalt confess with a mouth confession... Jesus is Lord. And if you shall believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Romans 10, 9. The word confess, look it up in the Greek. It means to make a covenant. The word Lord means someone who has complete ownership. Did you know what Jesus is saying to us to be saved? He's saying, I want you to take the sandal off thy foot. Listen, there are people in this room, the reason we're not encountering God and the reason we're not coming into a holy place, it's because we're keeping our sandals on. We're not fully surrendering to God. Holiness isn't a matter of striving. I used to strive to be holy. When I first became a preacher, I wanted to please God. I used to listen to how much law I used to put on myself. I used to witness to at least one person every day. If I was driving home and I hadn't witnessed to somebody yet, I would pull into a grocery store or a gas station and I would preach to somebody right there. And normally I would be talking and they would be backing up. Like, who is this guy? But I wanted to be holy. And I thought holy people had to witness to somebody every day. We got rid of our TV. We went almost a year without a TV in our house. We threw it away. VCR, some of you young people don't know what that is. It's an old DVD player. 
I'm young, but I said to a teenager in church there, VCO, he goes, a VC what? I said, are you kidding me? I'm only 35. Technology's changing, isn't it? One day in my office, I'm in there getting ready for a sermon, and I'd been praying, and I just broke. I had a mental breakdown. I had an emotional breakdown. I don't know what I had, but I lost it. And I am weeping to the top of my lungs. I mean, I am crying. And I start shaking my fist at God. I'm embarrassed to even admit this, but it's what I did. And I started saying, what do I have to do to please you? I'm, I'm witnessing to somebody every day. I've done 12 mission trips this year. I've given all that I can give away. I'm giving 20% of my income away, and I don't even make much money. And I'm telling God everything I'm doing, and I'm crying, and I'm saying, what do I got to do to please you? And the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm not your earthly father. I'm your heavenly father. See, I had a dad that was hard to please. I could cut five ricks of wood a day. My dad worked us from daylight to dark. When I got home in the afternoon, we'd work till night. And we'd stack wood in our basement. We had an older home, and you'd throw it down a chute, and the wood had to be straight. And when you were done with a towel, it didn't go in the dirty laundry. You had to use it two times. There's a lot of rules in my home. I know what it's like to live under the law. And the towel had to be hung straight. And if that, if that towel was crooked, you're getting a whipping. And some doors had to be shut. Some doors had to be open. And when you were done stacking the wood, and it had to be just in a straight line, then you'd have to sweep the floor. Then you'd have to mop the floor. And I did everything in the world to please my father, but I could never seem to please my dad. My dad would tell me, would look at me and say, you're a disappointment. I wish you were never born. You're a financial obligation. You never pull your weight around here. I was good at sports. I tried everything. My dad liked boxing. I started boxing. I hold a record in Huntington, Tennessee. First knockdown, 13 seconds. Second knockdown, 25 seconds. Last knockdown, 38 seconds. The first round, TKO. The doctor had to help carry me out of the ring. I, I was hurting. I'm the one that got knocked out, by the way. <laughs> the man said to me after the fight, he said, well, you do hold a record. I said, thank you. It felt good. feels good to hold a record. Tried everything to please my dad. You know what God said to me that day? That's not how you please me. He said in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branch. He that abideth in me bears much fruit. You know what it means to bear much fruit? It means to be holy. So, If you're bearing much fruit, you are on holy ground. And if you're on holy ground, you're setting yourself up for an encounter. So how do I do that? Abide, not strive, surrender. I was striving to please God. I'm striving and I'm under striving. And I realized the Lord just wanted me to surrender. He wanted me to endure the, enjoy the journey. You know, when you're surrendered, you, you, it makes it sound like, well, you can't be holy if you surrender. No, if you're surrendered, anything in time that God puts his hand on and God says, hey, I want that, you say, okay, because I'm surrendered. If somebody pulled a gun on you, my brother got robbed in Memphis one time. They pulled a gun on him. My brother threw his hands up. You ever wonder why people raise their hands in worship? They just surrender. My brother threw his hands up, and the man said, I want your necklace, and I want your wallet. He even got my brother's tennis shoes. And somebody said, why? He, he walked away and then turned around and came back and said, now give me your shoes too. And my brother said, yeah, okay. He took his shoes off because he was surrendered. If that man would have came back 10 minutes later with that gun, he'd have gave him whatever he asked because he was surrendered. Take thy sandal off thy foot. Whatever you got in your life you're clenching on to. Whatever you got in your life you're saying, I don't want to, just surrender your life to God. 
Don't strive to be holy. Surrender to become holy. It's not something you do. It's someone you become. And here's my last point, and I'm done because I'm out of time. Encounters come to those who open their hands. Think about this. God said, what's in your hand? I had this thought when I read this. If Moses wouldn't have opened his hand, this would have been his last encounter. Moses would have multiple encounters with God. He would have greater encounters with God than this one right here. This was the first of many. But if he wouldn't have gave God what was in his hand, this would have been his last encounter. You say, Josh, I don't have much to give God. Yeah, all he had was a stick. That's all he had. But you know what's amazing? When you take just a stick, a walking stick, and you give it to God, it becomes the rod of God that parts the Red Sea and allows two and a half million Israelites to go across on dry ground. It becomes the rod of God that can tap a rock, and a river flows out of that rock, and it waters two and a half million people and all their livestock. It may be a stick in your hand, but if you'll give it to God, it can become a rod that can part a sea. I ain't got much in my hand. I hear that all the time. I asked a guy one time, what do you got? He said, I'm good at carpentry stuff. I'm good around the house. I can't sing. I can't preach. I can't teach. What am I going to do for God? So he started something called a men's ministry. And he started building wheelchair ramps and repairing roofs, even cutting firewood for this elderly man that in the middle of winter, the man was living with blankets wrapped around him because he was so poor, and his house was heated by wood and a wood stove, and he didn't have any wood. One day, that fellow came to church with tears running down his face, and he said, you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah. He said, you know he lives four houses up from our church? I said, yeah, I think I do. I know his grandson. Tears streaming down his face. He said, do you know he didn't have any wood? Do you know that old man, 90-year-old man's been over there in the cold? I said, I didn't know that. He said, well, he'll never have to worry about wood again. He said, we've cut him enough wood, we've got it stacked out, and we've cut it small enough that he can put it in there. And then we put some by a stove, and we're going to go by every week, and we're going to put it by a stove. I said, that's funny. I thought you didn't have anything to offer God. Isn't that what you told me a year ago? tears streaming down his face. He said, I'll tell you what I've learned, Pastor. You may not have much, but if you'll give it to God, he'll do something with it. That's right. What's in your hand? You love kids? Go serve in children's church. What's in your hand? I'm friendly. I'm a people's person. I I like working with people. Go get at the information center. Go become a greeter. I'll give you one way. At the end of this service, Andy's going to give us an opportunity to give to Jacob's house. And I'm closing right here because it's 1020, and I said I'd be done at 1020. But I'm a preacher, so it'll probably be 1021. That's how we do it. At the end of this service, somehow they're going to allow you to give. When I knew I was going to speak, I asked Pastor Farrell. I said, Pastor Farrell, I would never ask you this if it had anything to do with me. But I've got almost enough money to get the house framed up. But I need more money because I've got to put windows and doors. And I've got to put flooring and HVAC. 
And I said, I, I'd like to say I'm sorry for asking, but the truth is I'm not. It's all I got in my hand. Josh, are you giving? Yeah. You know that piece of land I told you about was so pretty? That's my land. Me and my wife bought that land to build our dream home on it one day. When the Lord spoke to me about Jacob's house, I was trying to get a piece of property and nothing was working out. And one night in prayer, God said, what's in your hand? I said, I need a piece of property. The Lord said, what's in your hand? And that piece of property came to my mind. And I hate to admit it, but I got to be honest, I was selfish. And I said, Lord, not that piece of property. That's my dream piece of property. I've always wanted to live on a creek. What's in your hand? Isn't it amazing that in my hand, that's just a piece of property? Well, I'll raise my kids who are already loved and already cared for. That piece of property in God's hand is going to help kids who don't know the love of Jesus, who've never met their father. And they're going to get the love of Christ. And they're going to be a part of a family. And whether we have them six weeks, six months, or six years, because we're going to try to get all that we can adopted through church people like you, for the ones that will go up for adoption, some will go back to their family, and they'll go back through the cycle. We're going to build relationships with their guardians or parents, and we're going to keep up with those kids for the rest of their life. In my hand, it's just a piece of land for kids who are already loved to live on. In God's hands, it's a piece of land that can help the orphan. I want you to give your best today. I'm not a preacher that goes around raising money. First time I've ever done this. But the Lord laid it on my heart, and what was in my hand was to say, Pastor Farrell, could I have an opportunity and let people give? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me as Pastor Andy comes up? Lord, I'm grateful to you for all these people. This is a great church. I have been blown away today by the volunteers of this church serving. This church seems to me to be in the middle of nowhere. And this place is full at 9 a.m. in the morning. Would you use this church, God, to reach out to another state and to help kids they'll never even meet? Would you let us release what's in our hand? Would you let us surrender our shoe? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Josh, Hannah, would you give him a hand?